Our study today is entitled, True Disciple. What does it mean to be a true disciple? We're going to be looking at a few passages here in the beginning and just see what Jesus says on being a disciple. And we're looking at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here this is known as the Great Commission. And Jesus is commissioning his followers before he ascends back to heaven. He commissions them and says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Make disciples of whom? Of all nations. And we studied this before. When the Bible's talking about the nations, we're talking about the nations, the world, those that don't know God yet. Go and make disciples of all nations. It didn't say, go and make disciples of believers. Huh. It didn't say, go and make disciples of believers. It said, go and make disciples of all nations. The world doesn't know me yet. Go and make me known. Okay? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to follow. Okay? Because to be a disciple, it means to be a follower, to be a student or a learner. Okay? So if you're learning something, something must be taught. Okay? We're going to go into that a little bit more as we go through this study. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? Some people think that bearing a cross means having some difficult times throughout our day, suffering a little bit with some uncomfortable situations. But back in this time, the cross symbolized only one thing, death. Death itself. So what Jesus is calling us to here is to deny ourselves and put our old life to death. If you want to be his disciple. Okay? Let's see what else it says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Happy Mother's Day. You know, you read a passage like this. Wait, if I want to be Jesus' disciple, I need to hate my mother and father? Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? It's a strong language, but I think that language was intended to show how important it is there might be a softer way. If this is too hard for you to swallow, there's another passage written in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39, that explains what it means to hate your father and mother. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So Jesus was telling people that if anyone wants to be his disciple, they needed to put to death their own plans and desires. Put to death their own plans and desires and turn their lives over to him and do his will every day. I mean, that is a privilege that we have, to do the Lord's will, but I don't think we get very excited about that, you know? We have our own will. We have our own plans. We have our own desires. And let's be honest, it's hard to let those things go, isn't it? Right? Especially when you've worked so hard for something. 
You know, you, you went to school, you got good grades, you really wanted to make it to that prestigious college that you wanted to get into. You wanted a profession, you wanted a career. You didn't just want a job, you know, so you chased after that dream and you're making it, you're making it, and God says, listen, you chose to follow me at some point during this journey. Guess what? I want you to come over here instead. But God, I gave my life to you. Why won't you give me this? I've worked so hard for this. And God says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to put to death your own plans and desires. By taking up your cross, you're putting that to death. But he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't just say, I want to crush your dreams. He says, I got something better for you. Follow me. Hey? Now, this is cool. Because God's going to bring you somewhere better than you thought was good for you. Right? This is cool. Let's see what it says here in John chapter 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Anybody here uh, a tree? No? Are you a tree? No? Are you a plant? Do we have to water you and put you in soil? What does it mean to bear much fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? What is this fruit that, that God's calling us to, uh, to bear? We've been studying this one in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Do you remember what it says there? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So these good works, these good deeds that we are saved for, we are created in Christ Jesus for this purpose, for good works. And when we bear fruit, we glorify Father God. And Jesus was all about glorifying Father God, right? And if we are Jesus' disciples, then us in turn should also be glorifying Father God. Like, it's a very simple thing that we're following here, okay? When we follow Jesus, we live to glorify God, okay? How do we do this? By good works. But what good works are these? So maybe we start to scratch our head and we start to plan and scheme. I want to do this good thing this week. So I get a check mark? No. It's not the plans, it's not the good works you plan to do. It's the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. So when he says, Put your old life to death, all those plans of yours. Come and follow me into my plan, right? And he says, and when you come and follow me, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to enable you to live out and do all the things that I'm calling you to do because these things were prepared in advance for you to do. It was part of God's plan. And I don't know about you guys, but I've come to a point where I've trusted that God's plan is way better than any plan I could ever come up with for myself, right? So what are these good works? What does that exactly look like? How would these good works glorify God? Let's look at John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By loving one another. I mean, this is what glorifies God. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. The good works fruit that we are meant to bear is this. To love others and win hearts to Jesus. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught, right? So we turn people's hearts toward Jesus and then we allow Jesus to lead them. And we get to journey along with them in love. So as we follow Christ together, guess what? We are called to love one another. And by this, people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So these are the good works, and this is the fruit. Some people think the fruit is, well, you have to have more people in your church, more people in your community, you know? You come here on Saturday, and there are a lot of empty pews here. But I know that there are a lot of people in our community, many of you sitting here today, I know you've reached out to your friends. I know that you've been having those conversations with people. 
I know that your burden is to turn people's hearts toward Jesus, you know? So even though they might not be sitting in this pew, that is not a measure of the fruit or the good works. I know specifically my Uncle Manny, <laughs> I know specifically my Uncle Manny goes out and he just like declares the word of Jesus everywhere he goes. Not just by what he says, but just how he helps people, how he puts on a smile, how he encourages people and helps build them up. I praise God that he's using my Uncle Manny in this way. And he's so humble about it, which just makes it like, oh, okay, Lord, I need to submit more and be more like Uncle Manny <laughs> because he allows you to do that work in him. I pray that God would start doing the work in us as we allow him to. That's the thing. To be a disciple, we have to allow him by laying down our life, putting aside our own will and say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he's going to take you crazy places. He's going to take you places you never thought you'd ever step foot in before. He'd have you talking to people that you used to hate, you know, and your heart is one that turns to a burden of compassion for them. Like God's plan of making us disciples, it's beautiful. It is so beautiful because when I experience grace and I share that with somebody else that they experience grace of God as well and you see them come out of this dark place and they start to spring up to life, oh, the joy. You know, we get to see how God is working in their life and you get to see the fruit. Imagine that sometimes you, you have the opportunity to see the fruit of the work that God is doing through your life as you see others around you growing and blossoming, springing up to new life. Just one thing before we, um, kind of tying what you said earlier to what you said now, because you know that verse when Jesus is talking parables and he says, those, let those who have ears hear? Earlier it's saying, you have to hate your mother and father, right? And hate your brother and sister. And then now it's saying love others. And it sounds contradictory, right? And it, you might be thinking, okay, you just said hate them. And then now you're saying love them. Like, what are you supposed to do? And the key to loving them is putting God first. Because when you put others first, like the only way to love others, the only true love comes from God. And that's the only way to love them is to put God first. There's no way to love someone else truly and honestly and purely and humbly the if way. the best way if you don't have God in your life. It's impossible, right? Other people, you know, say, oh, I don't have God and I still have a good marriage, right? But then there's that pride that comes in that I'm doing this. I have this love. I'm treating, and pride can come into there. So it's, it's key to the only way to really love others is to be fed that love and share that love that, that God is giving you. That's how it works together. That's so right, man. <laughs> love God first above all things. Love God most all the time. It says love God with all your heart, with your whole being, right? So you are single-minded toward God, and then he enables you to love the way he wants you to love not the way you think you ought to love or the way your wife expects you to love, you know? It was coming from God, man. I'm not going to fight him. Yes? I think if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you will have no problem loving other people, including your enemies. Mm -hmm. Because that's the, the sort of love we love. That's right. When we love him above all things, his supernatural love comes down and enables us to love because it's his love we're loving them with, not what we think love is. So here's a verse that we're going to be unpacking today, okay? And it's found in John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, if you were to interpret this on your own, you might just look at it and say, well, it looks like God just wants me to obey him, a bunch of commands, a bunch of rules. That's not what it's talking about. What does it mean you are truly my disciples? 
I mean, there are a bunch of questions when you look at this. You say, what does it mean to truly be Jesus' disciple? What is his word? What does it mean to be in his word? And what does it mean to abide in his word? I mean, this is so loaded. There's so much here that I think we breeze over. We really have to break down this verse a little bit more. Okay? So being truly Jesus' disciples, we're going to be reading John chapter 8, verse 30 to 31. Even as he spoke, many believed him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So Jesus is out there. He's speaking to the masses. And it said, even as he spoke, many believed him. Many believed him. To the Jews who believed, he said, If you hold on to my teaching, if you abide in my word, okay, you are truly my disciple. I have a question for you. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes? Now answer this. Is your belief real? There's some hesitation there. You know? And this is what, what Jesus was doing here. All these people started to believe him, and he, he kind of tests them. So in this verse, it says, many believed in him. Verse 31, we see that Jesus doesn't assume that all belief is real. Ouch. Wait, but I believe, I believe. Uh, like, you know, you try to convince yourself that you believe, but I, I'm sure I believe. Jesus never assumed that all belief is real. He makes his listeners squirm in their seats because they may think they believe, and now the authenticity of that belief is being tested. Is your belief authentic? Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you truly believe, you are truly my disciples. Jesus never taught that you are a believer first, and then you become a disciple at some later stage of your Christian journey. So when you chose to believe in Jesus, guess what? You are a disciple. You don't choose to believe in Jesus first. You convert into the faith. And then you spend how many years before you decide, okay, now I choose to be a disciple. No. To believe in Jesus Christ is putting our faith and everything in who Jesus is. So you don't convert and become a Christian. And then 10 years later, okay, I decide I want to get more serious about this. Now I'm going to be a disciple. Is your belief real? Is your belief authentic? True disciple means true believer or true Christian or true follower. Look at your sidebar there. I think sometimes in the church, we talk about the world being divided only into two groups, unbelievers and believers. But I'd like to suggest that the world is actually divided into three groups, unbelievers or non-disciples, rather. Non-disciples are unbelievers, people who make no pretense of following Jesus. They just want to have nothing to do with him. Okay, they're not even going to try to follow Jesus. The next one, we have unreal disciples, unreal disciples. These are the converts or phony believers, people that say they follow Jesus and they have a surface connection with him. They believe, 
But isn't it easier to believe when all your friends are believing? You know, I think when we were about like 10 years old in our church, a whole bunch of us, like all us kids in the same class, we saw our friends starting to get baptized. We're like, wait, my friend got baptized. What about me? Don't leave me behind. I want to get baptized too. You know, we used to take the Lord's Supper. You know, um, we used to take communion at church, the Lord's Supper. And um, I used to sit as a kid and watch my parents take the bread and the wine. Um, and I wasn't allowed to yet because I wasn't baptized. You know, because I'm not yet, I haven't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior yet, personally, so I'm not technically part of the body of Christ yet. But I'm watching my parents' example, and they're teaching me this is what it looks like, right? And I remember, I'm like, I wonder what that tastes like. Everybody else is doing this. I want in too, you know? So I'm going to believe. I, I'm going to go get baptized, you know? And then all my friends are going to get baptized too, and we're all going to sit in the same row, and we'll all take the bread and the wine and we'll look at each other like, mmm, this is tasty, you know? <laughs> it's so much easier to believe or do what everybody else is doing, but is your belief authentic? So even as Jesus spoke, it said, many believed him. It's easy when the crowds are believing right, to follow them. Then we have the real disciples and the true believers, people who truly follow Jesus. And this isn't anything to brag about. This isn't a pride thing. It couldn't be a pride thing. Because if we truly follow Jesus, there's nothing left for you to be proud of because it's not you doing it. It's that God is leading you, and you're saying, lead me, Lord, because I, I don't know any other way to go. You know? I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all the way. That's a true believer. I came across this um, article um, just last night. It's dated May 10, 2019, from Relevant Magazine, written by Pastor Tyler Edwards from South Carolina, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. He writes, we're called to make disciples not converts, okay? It says, Jesus offers us grace and love without condition, but not without expectation. When we try to water down the message by saying things like, you don't have to give up sin, you don't have to change, you don't need to be transformed, you don't have to die to yourself, you just need to believe. In doing this, not only are we depriving people of the truth, we are denying them access to a real transforming relationship with the Almighty God. We cannot water down the message to try and make it more attractive to consumer-minded people, okay? Jesus didn't water anything down. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, die to yourself, leave all that behind and follow me. Hate your family, Love me first. You follow me, nobody else. Jesus didn't water it down. That was a high calling. Could you do it today? If Jesus came to your life and said, listen, you gave your life to me, well, I want you to leave all that behind. Everything that you've known, everything that you trusted, leave all that behind. I'm taking you somewhere new. It's hard. That's a high calling. Back to the article. Christianity isn't just a system of belief. It isn't a lifestyle even. It's a life transformed by Jesus. So here's the difference between converts and disciples. Converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. They're involved in the mission of Jesus, while disciples are committed to it. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples, they're in the game. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples live it. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus. Converts are all about believing. 
disciples are all about being. Converts are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. Converts talk. Disciples make more disciples. When I got to number 10, converts talk and disciples make more disciples. Friends, that struck me. That struck me hard. I could easily make excuses. Well, I work from home. I homeschool my kids. I don't get out much. You know? When am I ever going to make more disciples? You know? How am I going to turn people's hearts toward Jesus? You know? And, and that, that hit me. I'm like, so am I really a disciple if I'm not making disciples? You know? It is the great commission after all, isn't it? It's what the last thing Jesus commanded before he ascended. Go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus, who makes his mission their mission, his values their values, and his heart their heart. A disciple is someone who finds their entire identity, purpose, and meaning in Jesus. Jesus is the center of their lives. They are all in. They are fully committed. I just wanted to share the article with you. That's not even the whole thing. I'll put up a link on our Facebook page later so you could read it for yourself. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. To be a true disciple means to be saved from sin, rescued from the wrath of God, and already in the enjoyment of eternal life. You know, I think we know that we're forgiven by God. I think we know that we've been rescued from the wrath of God and we don't have to suffer that anymore. But are you enjoying eternal life today? That's the thing. Remember, when we die to ourselves, the very same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same resurrection power that comes in your life when God raises you to new life. He raises you a new creation in Christ Jesus. So this power comes alive in you. Life comes up in you. It's a new life. It's the very life of Jesus Christ himself alive in you when you chose to truly believe. Okay? And when you truly believe and you abide in his word, you are truly his disciple. But what is his word? Let's go to that Jesus word. When Jesus said, if you abide in my word, word singular, not words. It refers to the sum of all Jesus has taught. Teach them everything that I've taught you. It's the sum, the totalness of what Jesus' message is. Remember, Jesus was the word in the beginning, the word that became flesh. Jesus, his life is the very message that God has for this world. Okay? Jesus' word, singular. We could rewrite it. Abide in the sum of all that Jesus taught. But what is the sum of that word? The answer to that is quite simple. He is the sum of his word. All his words, in one way or another, draw our attention to him. You know, all the Old Testament, friends, everything, the whole system for the Jews, everything in the Old Testament was all pointing to the Messiah. It was all pointing to Jesus. Everything that's written in the New Testament after the Gospels, guess what? It's all pointing back to Jesus. So our, the Bible that we have today, people call it God's Word. And yes, that is part of what that is. It is his word, and it all points to Jesus, okay? What are some of these words that Jesus spoke? What was he teaching? These are all found in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
I am not of this world. I am the good shepherd. I am in the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. All these things that Jesus is talking about, he's talking and bringing the attention to him. He's drawing the attention of people toward him. And as they find Jesus, guess what? Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So our job, friends, when we make disciples, is to love others and point hearts to Jesus. Like that's, that's what we do to make disciples. Making disciples is different from having a discipleship program that you follow at church. And I think we, we get that a little confused. We think I'm only a disciple if I'm doing everything the discipleship program tells me I need to do. So I need to set aside my daily devotions. I need to read my Bible every day. I'm on a reading plan this year, and you know, as long as I stay on it, then I'm still following God. What happens if you, you stop reading or you lose your Bible? You know, are you still a disciple? <laughs> Um, I, I have to go to church every week. I have to give offering every week. I have to um, join the choir. You know, I, I have to do this and do that. And we get so focused on our doing. We get so focused on following the rules. And we forget that we are created human beings. That God wants us to learn how to be. It's a condition of what we are on the inside. So then when Jesus teaches, he says, I am all these things, and this is what I am doing. When it comes to us, he says, what are the things he tells us? You are forgiven. You are not condemned. You are my child. You are loved. He's not saying you need to do anything. Because it's not about our performance. He wants us to know this new creation that he's created us to be. Are you getting this? John 15, verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. So abiding in his word is the same thing as abiding in him. Okay? Abiding in his word is the same thing as abiding in Christ himself. But what does it mean to be in Jesus' word? To be in Jesus' word can be explained as being in what I like to call the Jesus zone. Everyone say the Jesus zone. If there's one thing you're going to be walking away with today... It's going to be this picture, the Jesus zone, okay? And in this zone, there are many different elements surrounding this. And in the zone, Jesus is at the center of it all, okay? It's almost like a force field, like a magnetic force field with all these moving things around, but it's contained here. And as long as you're in that force field, in the Jesus zone, then you start to experience these things of Jesus in your life, Okay? Being in the Jesus zone. He is at the center of this zone. Being in his word means being in the persuasion of its truth. Persuasion of its truth. Are you compelled by the truth in his word? It's like you're persuaded by it. Nothing could contest it. When you come across it, you just know it to be true. You don't need to convince yourself that it's true. See, in the Jesus zone... His spirit reveals the truth in his message, right? So in that Jesus zone, his spirit is alive and working to reveal his truth to you. And when you are revealed that truth, it is compelling. It is persuasive. And you cannot disagree with that truth, okay? When you're in the Jesus zone, in his word. Another thing is um, the attraction it's being in the attraction of its beauty. There's something that draws you in. Not, not because it's beautiful, because it has a leather cover, or gold trim on the pages, or a nice red ribbon, or the blue letters, you know, in your Bible. Like, it's not those things it's talking about. 
The beauty it's talking about is a spiritual beauty that captivates you. It draws your attention and you want to set your eyes on the things unseen. You see that in scripture, how God worked that in there? Set your eyes on the things unseen, in the beauty of his word. Is that cool? Then we have treasuring its supreme value, its worth, its value. When something's important to you, you cherish it. You treasure it. You take good care of it. You keep it somewhere safe so nobody can snatch it away from you. That's what a treasure is, right? You hold it with high regard. Do you treat God's word? Do you treat Jesus that way? Is Jesus your treasure? Do you keep him in your heart? And then it's also being in the peacefulness of its grace and power. What does that mean? Trust. When you trust in him, when you trust in Jesus, there is a grace and a power that comes over you and you know it's safe there. When you're in the Jesus zone and you trust him, that's a safe place to be. There's peace. You're not at war with him. All right? You're in harmony with him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Right? You feed and you get your nourishment and you're strengthened by God's word in your life. I'm not just talking about reading the Bible, memorizing a few verses and try to apply it in your life. I'm talking about the power of God's word alive in your heart. Uh, the power of God's word that convicts you to the center of your being that you cannot live apart from that truth that he's planted in you. That it comes alive in you, friends. Right? So when you're being in his word, when you're abiding in his word, it's not just reading the Bible. That's what discipleship programs tell us. You need to read your Bible, memorize where the passage is found, because it gives more power if you know where it's found. That's that's not true, okay? It's allowing God to reveal his truth to you. Yes, we do need to read his word so that we know with our mind. We need to hear his word first, but then his spirit reveals the truth of that word in our life. Feed on his word. Are you refreshed? The refreshment of its water cleanses you it revives you you know have you ever had like a really bad week and not just feeling bad but you know spiritually you know that you're you're feeling spiritually dirty you know and the enemy is really trying to do a good job condemning you and making you feel worthless you know but then when you read God's word again you remember his truth that he put in your heart it's like water that cleanses you and washes away all the lies of the enemy and you're refreshed, and you come out, and you're ready to face a new day. And I love when the Bible says, you know what? His mercies are new every day, every morning. And it's like when you rise, this is like that water that rushes over you. You know, before you go to bed, let your mind be on the things of God. Focus your mind in on him. Just like abide in him. It's funny, I um, came across an app. Just uh, I I'm not promoting the app. I don't get any you know, money for doing this. But there's an app on from the Apple iTunes store, and it's called Abide. <laughs> and it popped up on my newsfeed, I think, like, yesterday. So I downloaded it, and it's cool, because before you go to bed at night, instead of just clearing your mind of things, it's like it helps you relax, and you put your mind on the things of God. It'll even read scripture to you as you're starting to go to bed. And don't worry if you fall asleep, because it has an automatic shutoff. If it takes you half an hour to fall asleep, they'll turn off the app and not waste your battery. Okay, so abide. And I thought it was just cool that that's what it's called. And it reminded me, this is what I fail to do. When I go to bed at night, I forget sometimes to set my mind on the things of God. When I wake up in the morning, if I wake up before my kids, yes, I will set my mind on God. But if my kids are waking me up and they're pulling me out of bed, guess what? I forget, I, I don't have the time, you know, or the luxury to, to sit and, and meditate on God's word. So I say a little breath prayer, you know. What, if you're abiding 
in Christ, if you're abiding in his word, then guess what, friends? You don't have to do the things that the discipleship program tells you to do because you're already abiding in him. The discipleship program is good in a way that it helps you develop disciplines to live that life and helps move you in that direction. But one thing I don't like about the discipleship programs in church is that it enables too many believers to stay where they are. It gives them excuses to stay where they are. Jesus didn't allow the believers to have an excuse. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple. If you believe, if you truly believe, you are my disciple. Okay? He didn't say believe first, and then you could become a disciple later. Okay? Don't feel bad if you are realizing for yourself today that you are a phony believer. I mean, feel a little bad that, that you weren't aware of it, but now that you are aware of it, this is something that you could put before God. Okay? I don't want to leave you there. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing. I mean, it, it's a starting point. It gets you started. You don't stay in discipleship programs for 30 years. Okay? You know, you, you don't keep trying to become a disciple for 30 years. You, you know, you go to school, you spend four years in school, you expect to graduate. Right? That's what the discipleship program is. It's like a school. But you don't stay there. Imagine if you stayed in high school. It's supposed to be four years, and you're there for like 10 years. Yeah. People are going to look at you, and they're like, come on already. Get on with your life. That's the same thing with us as Christians. I believe in Jesus, but come on already. Get on with the life that God gave you. Stop wasting it. Go into school. You know? To be a true disciple is to live in the word of his riches. His word brings light. The brightness of its light, it illuminates and it guides us. So if you don't know where you're headed in your discipleship journey, guess what? When you're abiding in Christ, his spirit leads you. His spirit will shine his light in your dark situation and show you the way out of that situation. Right? So that's what it is. To be a true disciple is to live in the word of the riches of the word of Jesus. And we come to answer this last question about abiding. The word abide simply means remain. Remain. Remain in his word. Don't leave it. Abiding in the word of Jesus means remaining in the Jesus zone. Okay? Abide means not ceasing to be persuaded by its truth and never elevating any other truth above it. Sometimes we get captured by the world's philosophies. Something sounds new and interesting. And we feel like, I've read the Bible. I already know that. God's already taught me that. I don't need to learn anymore. So you're not persuaded by the truth of the Bible anymore, and you feel spiritually dead. So you end up looking at other philosophies. I mean, the Bible warns us about this. Don't give yourself to these other worldly philosophies. Remain in his word. Never cease to be persuaded by its truth. Never cease to be attracted by its beauty and value. And never seen anything more beautiful or more valuable or more attractive than the word and the Lord that word reveals. What, what's pulling your heart? You know, is there anything else in this world that, that seems more attractive to you than abiding in Christ Jesus? You know? And you know what the interesting thing is? You don't have to guess whether or not you're abiding. You know. You know whether you're abiding or not. If you have to try hard to convince yourself that you are abiding, eh, you're not there, okay? It means we have to let go a little bit more of ourself, right? And allow Jesus to fill that place.
Abiding in his word means never ceasing to rest in its grace and power. This is important. Rest in its grace and power. Trusting that what Jesus has done is enough. Trusting that you cannot do anything more to help yourself. The only thing you can do is to surrender your life and lose it to Jesus. And then you find the life that he gives you. Okay? Never cease to rest. You know, I grew up in a, in a church where there was so much focus on the Sabbath. And I don't want to dog that practice because, you know what, it revealed so much to me. Because on the Sabbath, I was taught, it's like the Sabbath of the Jews, right? From Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, you don't do anything that the rest of the, you're doing the rest of the week. So you don't do your work, you know, you, you, you don't give your attention to other things. Instead, you use that time to think on the things of God, where you could just be with him. You don't try and work so you get more money on the Sabbath because you're trusting that God provides everything. You know, you don't try and prove yourself to the world that I'm worth being here. It allows you to take a rest from trying to prove yourself to the world. And, and you just get to rest and be with Jesus and trust that he loves you, you know? So I, I really do value the Sabbath still. But to understand that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that he offers this rest to us, that we don't make it about the do's and don'ts and the rules, we don't make it about a day of the week, but we make it about resting in Jesus and stop trying to do what the world's expecting you to do and surrender and just rest in Jesus, like that is powerful. And that's why I treasure him so much. He's not expecting me to perform anymore, but he is expecting me to rest in him. And when I rest in him, guess what? When he says, it's time to get up and do something, I'm energized. I'm ready to go, right? So, like, I value that rest. I mean, who, who here values their rest? Yeah? Do you value your rest that much that you could turn off Netflix and close your eyes? Good on you, guys. That's good. Don't compromise that rest, yeah? I mean, God created us to sleep and experience what it's like to wake up re-energized, right? And that, that's what it's like. When we... We, we don't have to worry about doing everything, right? That we could rest and trust that God, where God's leading us, he's not going to put us in a bad situation, all right? He's, he's taking care of you. Rest in its power and grace, never turning away as though greater peace could be found anywhere else, okay? It means not ceasing to eat and drink from the word, as the bread of heaven and living water, as if life could be sustained anywhere else. All right? Now, I'm not saying don't be healthy, okay? Physically, we take care of our physical health so that we could live a better quality of life. But what do we do with that quality of life? Is it to enjoy for ourselves, or so that God could use us more in our health? But eat and drink from the word for our spiritual health. Okay? And he sustains our spiritual vitality. Never cease to walk in the light of the word, as though any other light could show you the secrets of life. That's a big one. If you feel that God's word isn't enough for you, that what you've consumed of God's word doesn't satisfy you yet, it's like you taste it, and you said, well, that was good for a moment. I'm going to go somewhere else, right? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't want you to just taste it and then go taste something else. When something's good, you remain. When something's good, you abide. When something's good, you stay, okay? You don't get your fill at Mandarin, Okay, that all-you-can-eat Mandarin. You don't get your fill at the all-you-can-eat Mandarin, and you said, wow, that was really good. Let me go and try the other, other all-you-can-eat now. And, and then you sit down at Frankie's. Oh, that was so good. They didn't have this over at Mandarin. And, and you're, you're testing out different things to see what, what satisfies your appetite, what, what quells your desire, you know? And that's just the thing. If we do not put to death our own plans and desires, 
our own cravings, our human cravings, we need to put those things to death and get a new taste of what God is offering, a spiritual taste. When we put our old life to death, our new life is a spiritual life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste it, and you know that it's good, why are you going to keep looking elsewhere? That's like dating somebody. You, like you've been dating, dating, dating a lot of people. And you, you're just trying to focus in on who's the one I want to settle down with. You know, so you test the field, you play the field. You know? Okay, you, I've tried talking to you. You, oh yeah, we went to dinner, had coffee. That didn't work out too great. So you're, you're tasting many different things. But then when you find the one and you stay up to like 4 o'clock in the morning talking like, we've never talked this much in our life. What a wonderful person you are. And I don't want to leave you. Could we just like sit here and talk forever? And like, and you leave and you call them up. Yeah, I'm on my way home. I can't wait to talk to you again tomorrow, you know. And you just don't want to leave the presence of that person because you just know it's the right fit. Yeah? It's like when something's good, you don't want to leave it. It's when you find the one that's good, why are you going to continue looking elsewhere? You know, because when you go away, guess what? You don't know what's happening there anymore, right? If you go and test the field after you found what you wanted, that very act in itself is like, okay, it, it seems good, but I want something better for myself still, right? You know what that's like? You found the one you wanted to settle down with, and you're like, okay, it's good. This could be really good, but maybe there's something better out there still. Hmm. I mean, like, that's what we do with God, though, isn't it? It's like we, we get a taste of God's truth. We get a taste of his grace and his beauty. We get a taste of his power in our life. We get a taste of how he refreshes us, how he strengthens us when we're weak. We get a taste of that, you know? We get a taste of what it's like to rest when we're so tired of fighting. We get a taste of hearing truth instead of accepting lies. We get a taste of the power of his word in our life. Well, that was good but maybe there's still something better. Is your belief real? Is your belief authentic? Or are you a phony believer today? The marks of a true disciple, the mark of a true disciple is lasting, enduring, persevering, keeping on in the Jesus zone. See, these temporary tastes of truth and beauty and value and power and grace and bread and water and brightness of the word. Getting just a temporary taste of that does not make you a believing Christian disciple. It means you just tasted it. A true disciple, this is the mark of a true disciple, is that we taste and we stay. We taste and we remain. We taste and we abide. That's it. That's it. You want to be a true disciple, friends? Jesus told us how we do it. Abide in his word. Trust him, all that he is. Put your life down, take up your cross, and place your life in the hands of God. Follow Jesus, friends. Follow Jesus. Go and make more disciples. Go and make more disciples of the nations, friends. This is God's charge to us. Let us live life that is pleasing to him. Amen? God bless you all.